0: Thank you, Pastor Charlie. Good morning, church. If you will I'll take your Bibles and turn with me to the 20th chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 20. We will continue our study as we have been moving along. As Pastor Charlie began this study a long time ago, and the pastor team, the elder team, is Working together, and um, it's amazing that through four different individuals, the Lord—at least from our perspective—I'm not sure how it is from from the congregation's perspective—but from from at least up here, uh, how the Lord provides unity of thought and it allows us to not—we that don't share notes as far as what we're going to do before we preach a message, but for us to um, be able to work in such a way where Again, it's because we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit who's given us the word. Uh, We're not trying to drum up something on our own. We're not trying to make something out that's not there. Uh, And that certainly helps. And uh, Pastor Scott last Sunday did a a wonderful job in uh, starting out this section in which Jesus is addressing questions uh, from the religious leaders. Uh, Lord willing, next Sunday we'll, we'll look at even another such question. But today we look at the second one in um, chapter 20. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 26. This passage of Scripture is often referred to uh, when the question of civil obedience, particularly in relation to giving our taxes to the government, is brought up. Uh, but I would like for us to consider a different perspective a perspective i actually think is more intended from the text than what we would give it credit for and i hope that will be helpful for us as we consider whose image do we bear whose image do we bear so keep this in mind this question as we read together through verses 19 through 26 of luke chapter 20. Luke records for us in verse 19, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to the things that are God's or and to God the thing that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that has inspired it, has preserved it, and continues to teach it and apply it to our hearts. We pray, Lord, today that as we study your word, that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart, so that we would know the hope of the calling we have in Christ so that we can know what are the riches that we have in the inheritance as saints and so that we can also know the greatness of the power that is towards us who believe so that you may work in us your perfect will as you change our hearts, as you change our minds, renewing them by the word of God. So help us today, may as your word goes forth, may it find good soil that it may grow, that it might produce fruit to the glory of our God and Savior, in whose name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Persistence is often considered a good trait. I like to teach our children, don't give up, keep trying, work hard. There's going to be obstacles, just and we and we encourage one another to to keep holding the faith, we keep you know moving on. My cats, the ones that live in the barn, and sometimes under the porch of my house show persistence of a different kind my cats like to have their heads rubbed and if you do not rub their head then they will insist that you learn how to rub their head and want to rub their head and like to rub their head They will not allow you to sit peacefully on the front porch unless they're in your lap waiting for you to rub their head. If you're not rubbing their head, they'll take their paw and drag your hand, knowing that that is the tool that we use and the resource that we have to rub their head, and they will do that. And once we have finally subdued to their will, they continue to want us to rub their head. Oftentimes, it gets even more harsh than that. As we see in our passage of scripture today we have a group of people who are very clear in their hatred for our Savior throughout his ministry they have been seeking to bring him down ultimately to death as we were reminded in our prayer confession and pardon this morning as well as from last Sunday's message this group of individuals sought to kill Jesus why did they want to do this because he was demonstrating authority that they only thought God should be demonstrating their problem was they didn't recognize him as God and so they sought to kill him Jesus gives this parable about this Lord who has uh, hired out people to work his land and in the process of wanting to gain return on his investment sends messengers three in this parable to go and say hey it's time for you to return a portion of that which you have been blessed with to the master and they reject it ultimately he sends his beloved son to whom they kill in the text that we look at this morning these individuals perceived that he had told this parable against them now this term for perceived comes from the idea of of gained experiential knowledge in other words they were putting the pieces together and they understood that based on what their relationship was like with him that when he told this parable you know what this kind of matches up with us We believe that he's trying to tell us that we're the ones who ultimately killed the son. Among all these other messengers that we beat up and and ran off. Their perception was correct. Unfortunately, this hatred for Christ was also counteracted with this fear of the people they felt themselves in a bind because as much as they hated jesus and as much as this gave them reason to continue hating him more there was another element and that was the people they feared the people why did they fear him well based on what we learned last week as well as another passage of scripture is that the people were somewhat of a populist group in which they sort of like what jesus was doing Perhaps they had a relative or a friend that was actually healed by Jesus. Or perhaps Jesus' love and compassion had affected their emotions to the point where they really were engaged with this man. Perhaps they still felt this anticipation that even though he hasn't done it yet, maybe he will finally set up the kingdom now. And so they were following after him. And so these religious leaders who hated Jesus understood that they were in a quandary. They could act out their emotions and kill this man, but yet face the, the wrath of the people. Or they could try to find another way. They were persistent. This perception that they had that the parable was against them unfortunately didn't lead to repentance it didn't lead them to understand that they had a need that they were in the wrong so to speak it it only led them to condemnation it only led them to a seared conscience it only led them to continue building up their resistance to Christ Well, what were they guilty of? What what was it that they were rejecting if indeed they thought that Christ was talking about them in this parable? What was it that was so so real to them? Well, again, they're denying the fact that they're identifying with a group of people, these tenants, if you will, that were given property to tend, that they were given opportunity to make a livelihood, that someone else had given them the ability to work. That there was a true owner that had been rejected in this parable. That the fruits that he was requiring should not have been his in their mind not to mention the words of instruction that came down to sort of bring them into reality of of what they were responsible to do in returning a portion of this, as well as a warning that if they didn't, something would happen to them. And then ultimately in rejecting the son, which was in basically their way of presuming ownership of what had been given to them they set themselves in a seat of authority they set themselves in the seat of being the owner they were denying their servant hood they were enemies of the landowner and these men these leaders were enemies of God Now, before we get too carried away in our analysis and judgment upon these individuals who should have known better, what does it really take to be an enemy of God? Well, the Bible makes it pretty clear in a couple of passages. Consider what Paul says in Romans chapter eight, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh Is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So, all it takes for someone to be the enemy of God is just to simply set the mind on flesh, to do what we naturally are inclined to do, to pursue what we naturally want to have. To be what we naturally want to be, but the Bible makes it clear that's death, and it's also it's hostile to God because in pursuing our own interests, in pursuing our own and our own uh, importance, that's in direct opposition to what God's law calls us to do, and so it places us in opposition with God, it makes us hostile to God because we're not submitting to his law. James says in chapter four, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So not only is it a pursuit of what the flesh wants to do, what we want to do in our own nature, but it's also a a passion and a love for this world to do what it wants to do this cursed world this world that leads to destruction that which we are to be abstaining from according to john in his first letter to the church in chapter two to love not the world because the world's passing away But when we love the flesh, when we set our mind to do what the flesh wants to do, when we pursue the world and its importance and we want to be valuable in the world's eyes and we want to do the world's things and we place a huge value and we commit ourselves and we vest ourselves so much into this world, that's enmity with God. That's putting us at odds with God. And that's what these religious rulers were guilty of. What do you do with that assessment? A parable hasn't been spoken of about you, but the word of God addresses each of us. And for many of us, that have may, maybe it has already led us to, to a point of conviction, of repentance and salvation. But can you think about your initial assessment of that, that you were an enemy of God? I was told a lot about sin I was given a long list of sins in the church in which I grew up but this understanding that I was an enemy of God in the midst of all that really didn't surface until I was an adult and we think that that's Repulsive, because, well, I would never be an enemy of God. No, I always understand that there's always been God. I've never been an atheist. I've, I've never rejected his, his presence. I've, I've, I've never rejected his authority over everything. But have we not? Consider this as we go through the rest of this passage of, 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 of how you assess your position as an enemy of God in these ways now again I'm not suggesting that we're not saved this morning I'm not suggesting that you're not redeemed by the blood of Christ but do you have an understanding about being an enemy of God do you understand who with apart from Christ that's who we are well let's see how it plays out in their lives as enemies of God again as I mentioned before their understanding that they were the ones that Jesus was referring to in the parable did not lead them to repentance. But what it did, it just led them to more resentment towards Christ so that there was now an act of scheming going on. In verse 20, so they watched him, which includes some time. It didn't say they had been watching him, but it says they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. Now these spies, if we were to cheat and go into Mark's gospel, he actually says that there were Herodians that were part of this group that wasn't part of the group that we talked about last week. But we really don't need that from the context of what the question is all about and what Jesus brings about.
1: But the Herodians
0: while we don't know a lot about them most likely just simply by their name indicates that they were probably political in nature probably followers or held closely to King Herod or at least what uh, you understand that King Herod wasn't just one person this was basically the title given to a number of brothers and cousins that reigned as Rome gave them authority so these were Herod, uh, these kings of, in Palestine were set up by Rome, which was another reason why they were a little resentful toward the Roman government, because uh, they were just palm pieces, if you will. They could only do as much as Rome allowed them to do, but they were given the, the title of being king of a ruler over the land. So they, they were sort of in between, but you can imagine that politically speaking these individuals would probably like to say you know we really don't need Rome anymore let's just be our own lords over land so the religious leaders took counsel Luke calls them spies from this group of individuals to watch Jesus so that they could listen to what he had to say and they would try to entrap him they would try to uh, as, as it were, put a big net out in the in the, in the in the creek. So as the water flowed down, I'm not really going to bait a hook. I'm not you know going to do anything like that. I'm just going to put a big net. And so anything that washes up in this net, I'm going to pull it out and say that I caught it. Now that's my kind of fishing. I, I don't have time to do this right here all hours of the day. If I want to fish, I'll either go to the restaurant where they've already had it fixed or I'm going to get it really quickly and without much effort. That's just who I am. But you can imagine when it comes to catching him in something they said, they were intently listening. Now, they were hoping as they were trying to, in an ecclesiastical sense in last week's message, of trying to trap him by saying, by whose authority do you do these things? As if he were to submit to something greater than him when there doesn't anything like that exists. Now they're looking at it from a political and in a civil perspective. He's answered them to the point where they have nothing to say when it comes to the authority of God. Now let's talk about the authority of the, of the Roman Empire. And if he says something that's just the least bit out of the way, we'll nab him. And we'll bring him before the authorities and the jurisdiction of the governor, and then we'll let him take care of killing him. So they asked, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly. Show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Now they didn't mean this because Luke has already indicated in verse 20 that they were pretending to be sincere. They were trying to butter him up, thinking that if they could just sort of make Jesus think that they were on his side, that he would let his guard down and he would really tell him what he thought about the Roman government. That he'd really tell him what he thought about his place as being king of the Jews. That he would really let his guard down to the point where he would just kind of give in. So they say, we know what you speak and teach. And it's right. We know that you show no partiality and don't think that this didn't have something to do with his relationship with the Roman government to kind of pull out of him. You know, you don't even show partiality to the Romans. You treat us all the same way. You don't see the Jews as any differently as you do the Romans. You show no one any partiality. But you truly teach the way of God. So here's the question. Is it lawful for us to give tribute or is it lawful for us to pay our property taxes to Rome, namely Caesar, or not? Now you think about the interesting point of this question. Now again, tribute here, this word usually indicates property taxes. Where were the Jews living? Were they living in Italy? Were they living in a province called Rome? No, they weren't. They were living where? In the promised land that God gave them. So here, Jesus, here's a question for you. Here we are, God's people, the Jews. We're living in the land that he gave us, that we own. Do you think it's right for us to give Caesar, who lives in Rome, our property tax? again they're wanting to trap him so they they give him a really good isn't this a good question i mean you think about it. you think about the passions that go on in just our nation you start talking about taxes and boy you can you can start a, a just a huge fight if, if, if you can actually find somebody who likes to pay them that you could get a fight going on but most of us we're we're going to you know hey let's storm the yeah war you know that's not what this is about they couldn't care less about what Jesus thinks about civil authority they are just simply trying to get him to say something that they could take back to the Roman officers and say he's a traitor now don't misunderstand what I'm saying they were very resentful to the Romans perhaps as much as they were towards Christ for what was taking place in their world. But they really didn't care what Jesus thought about it. They just wanted to get him on their side, one way or the other. And even if he was to say, well, you know what, fellas? We're all Jews here. We know that God gave us this land. Of course, I don't think we should be giving our property tax to them. That his boat was sunk. But even if he didn't say that and he said well absolutely i think we should be paying our taxes to the roman government then perhaps maybe he could lighten up with the people and the crowd so that the crowd could be on their side for a change and they wouldn't be trying to get jesus killed on their own either way their effort fell flat now again remember That the point of this narrative isn't about should we give the government our taxes now can we learn something from this absolutely are there principles that we need to apply to our lives because of what we learn about what jesus says absolutely but please do not miss the point the point is not in this text within the context of whether or not we should pay our taxes to the government jesus makes it really clear in his answer He says, in his uh, wise way, perceiving their craftiness, he said to them, show me a denarius. Show me a coin. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said Caesar's so he said to them render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's period not in my translation (laughs) but if he did if if, if we just take simply that what was he saying look on your coin if you were to take uh, it would be a little bit more difficult for Jesus to pull this off today in our country if he was asked us to give him a coin, because on our coin, not only does it have the the image of a dead president on it, it also has in God we trust. So this would not have worked in, in, in our day. But in his day, those who had authority to collect taxes, had coins made not after they were dead but while they were living impressed with an image of their face because they owned it and jesus was saying you take the coin that you, you have there and look at it who's, who, who's, whose image does it have on it whose inscription does it have on it and they obviously said caesar and jesus response was well, since Caesar's the one who owns that coin, and since Caesar's image is on that coin, and that the taxes are being collected by Caesar, then you give to Caesar what belongs to him. But thankfully, there is no period there. Because what we see after this is what Jesus' real point is. You render to God the things... That are God's now notice the parable that they perceived that they were the actors in what's going on there is someone mentioned in that parable who has authority to say you work this field And this person with authority has the authority not only to say this is my field but you work in it but he also has authority to come back down and say hey listen it's time for you to pay up some of the you know some of the benefits that you've been receiving from working this field. Why? He owns it. It's his. So Jesus referring back to the authority of the person on the coin is of no coincidence. And I hope you picked up on that pun because it was intentional. You'll get that maybe on the way home thinking, oh yeah, coin. That's okay. I won't take it personally if you don't laugh right now because that's okay. But it wasn't coincidental. It was intentional. That Jesus is referring back to the parable that they even were able to perceive that they were the subjects of By saying, Who has the authority to require anything of you? Whoever that person is, give it to them. If it's in a parable and it's the person who owns the field, then you return back to this field owner what he requires of you for letting you work in it. But as for God, what does he say again render to God the things that are God's this is the real point this is what the parable was about who owns it who's responsible for returning back service to the one who has given you the ability and the privilege of working under it let me take you back to the beginning genesis chapter 1 verse 26 we read then god said let us make man in our image to whom was the coin giving reference to the one whose image was on the coin It's no mistake that Jesus said, no, whose image is on this coin? Whose inscription is on it? Well, because the one who made the coin put his image on it. God says in the beginning, chapter one, let us make man in our image. We are image bearers. We are, if you will, coins. Coins. That God has created. And whose image is on this coin? God. And if the world in which we live. Could gain an understanding of this. There is not a basic problem. That we're having within society. And within our culture. That this will not cure. Because we understand. That God has made us in his image. After his likeness. So that let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Does anybody have a problem with understanding that we are made in God's image? This is three times that it's very clearly written. And how did he create them? Male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you see something relatively close to the parable that Jesus has told that these men have identified themselves as being the subject in Jesus' mind and the point that he's trying to make whose image do you bear then give him what he deserves where does that start? it starts from the very creation of mankind who bears his image I mean, being in God's image is so important. In Genesis chapter 9 to to Noah, after they get off the ark and start anew, God says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man's blood shall be shed. Why? Because for God made man in his own image. And I truly believe that when Jesus is talking to these religious leaders who are trying to trip him up, it doesn't keep him from making the original point that he was making in the parable. That we are to reflect through how we live and what we do the image of God that we bear whether that is being fruitful and multiplying, establishing families, whether that be subduing the earth and responsible to using the resources God has given us to make this life what it can be, by using the created creativity that he has provided for men and women throughout the world to make much of what God has blessed us with, I'm afraid sometimes as Christians, we're ashamed of these things. We we have allowed the world to talk us back. That we've allowed the world to make us think that we are to go into our own little corner, or maybe in a closet and just shut ourselves up and to do our own religious stuff while they take this world and this creation that God has given us and, and ruin it. I believe spiritually speaking, that God is coming to us regularly and asking us, okay, give me back a portion of of what you are earning, but give me a portion. Again, there's there's enough parables throughout the Gospels that talk about Jesus or the Lord giving people things to invest for His glory and to be active in doing so. But unfortunately, like everything else in this world, Even that image has been marred by sin. Personal sin. Because of the nature that we have inherited from our first parents that were created in the image of God. Because as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5, sin entered the world by one man. And because we're all the children, we all sin. So this image has been marred. We're reminded that in the process of this marring of the image of God, we're enemies of God now. That which God blessed when he created man and woman in his image, that which was good, no, That which was very good has now become his enemy. But thankfully, there's not a period after that either. Romans chapter eight, which many of us go to in times of discouragement and doubt, are reminded in verse 29 for those whom he foreknew, he has also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. His work of grace in saving people is bringing them and conforming him into an image. Again, that original image. We still bear it because of sin it's marred. because of Christ because of our relationship to him which he foreknew before the foundation of the world was established so that he could conform us to the image of his son but this is not all that we have in the New Testament that teaches us about this wonderful gift of salvation Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 put to death therefore what is earthly in you that which makes you an enemy of God if you will and in verse 10 he goes on to say put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. you understand what God's up to? Do you understand what Jesus may have been talking about? When he said, you render to Caesar what has his picture on it? But what has God's picture on it? You render it to the Lord. You render it back to God. You render it back to the God who owns you. You render it back to the God who has placed you in a place of service. You give it back to the God who gives you life and sustains you after he has redeemed you, the one who has created you. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, this is renewed. It's no longer, Jesus doesn't go back and, and say, okay, well, now that you're saved, you go back and do what I told you to do in Genesis chapter one. I'm not going to get into debate about, uh, you know, dominion theology or, or, or two kingdom Christianity, anything like that, which certainly would take up a weekend seminar just to kind of go over what in the world did I just talk about. But Jesus didn't save us simply to go back and say, okay, now you can finally do what I, Originally created you do back in Genesis chapter one but it's even more inflamed if you will as we're reminded in 1st Corinthians chapter 6 or 20 we were bought with a price so glorify God in your body what are you to do now that if you're to render back to God what belongs to God because he's the one who has now bought you, which is extremely fascinating in and of itself, thinking that the one who created us and owns us anyway put up more money. He ransomed us out of our sinfulness so that we could do what? Glorify God in our body. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatsoever you do, Do all to the glory of God. Let me ask you this. Are you bearing Christ's image today? Oh, I know you bear God's image. I know that because you are a part of his creation, I know that because you are a descendant of Adam and Eve, I know you're created in God's image. I know you bear his image. Even though it's smart, it's still there. It's still there so much that we're warned by James to make sure we don't even say something to curse someone because they're they're made in that image. They bear the image of God. Well, I know that you bear the image of God, but do you bear the image of Christ? Have you indeed been bald? Have you indeed placed your unadulterated, un? Relenting faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ plus nothing. No works of righteousness. Even as we sang at the end of last week's service, Rock of Ages, no amount of tears. There's no way we could ever Climb that mountain. So is our complete trust and faith in what Christ did through his obedient life and his submissive death and his powerful resurrection. Have we turned away from everything that we desire about ourselves in this world? Have we denied ourselves and taken up our cross to follow Christ? Do we bear his image? If we do, what's our response? Glorify God in your body. Whatever you say, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, I will admit, jesus did not go into this tirade that we just departed with in explaining all of this to those who are around he just simply said belongs to god give it to god and i hope that we understand that the scriptures do expound on this that we belong to the lord is his people, we belong to him so our bodies should be used for His service. We should render back to him what he has blessed us with. Now back to Luke chapter 20, after Jesus said that they were to render back to God the things that were God, they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. <laughs> he didn't play along. He didn't give them anything that they could use. Now we find out later on in the Gospel of Luke that that didn't keep them from accusing him of doing something anyway. It's kind of like the world which we live in now. If They can't find you doing something wrong. They'll just accuse you of doing something, and, that, and that's all it takes. But Jesus gave them nothing that they could catch him in to thwart him. Unfortunately for them, Jesus gave them everything that they needed to understand about life. And they rejected it. They marveled at his answer and became silent. For now. What will you do at to work today? Will you perceive yourself to be the one that the scriptures talk about in needing to follow after Christ will you perceive yourself to be one who is still an enemy of God will you repent would you look to him for grace and mercy knowing that he is able to save that anyone who will confess the Lord Jesus and believe that God is ready for me, will we saved. What will you do with the word of God that says, you know what, you have been as a child of God. New life. You've been given the opportunity through the Holy Spirit that lives within you. You've been given the ability to actually live a life of righteousness. A life of perfection. You've been enabled by the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. You, you've been given life. And life more abundant. What will you do with this life? Will you render it back to God? Or will you just sort of consume it on your own? Out of convenience, you'll use it when you need to or when you want something. Or will you submit yourselves completely to Christ's lordship of your life follow him today heavenly father i thank you for your word i trust that your spirit will apply the truth of it to our hearts i pray lord that you would inform us even through the listening of your word because the image your son jesus christ even more as we see that glory more and more become more clear father i trust that you'll give us the strength to live as you have called us to live i pray that as you have called us to be holy that we would be holy i pray that as you have called us to live as unto the Lord, that we would do so. Help us to remember, Lord, it is not us who live. It's Christ living in us. Lord, I do pray that should there be someone who hears the voice of the word today and they are without Christ, that they would not be resistant, Lord, that they would repent. Do we come to understand and know who they are, not only as an image bearer of the creator, but they would come to know Christ and see the image of Christ being developed in life as a new creation in him. Father, help us, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.